So this message is called A Tale of Two Ditches, and I want to talk about the ditch of legalism versus the ditch of lawlessness. And so we have to be mindful that these are the two ditches of life, and right down the middle of the road is where we need to be, neither lawless nor legalistic. And right now in the body of Christ, as we're running down the gospel highway, we're watching Christians shipwreck into both ditches. Ditches are great for drainage runoff. They are not good for your car. Ditches are designed for wastewater, stormwater runoff, or rock fall, or dead animals. They're not designed for you to run your car into it. When you run your car into the ditch, you're stuck. I'm watching Christians of some groups run into legalism, and they, they are tenacious, and others run into lawlessness, and they're going to be damned. What we want to do is make sure with the best of our ability, we find the balance between lawlessness and legalism when we find the heart of God behind every law given. So I'm going to address a lot of the controversies of the debates today, and I'm probably not going to turn to any scripture. I'm going to read it to you because I have five pages of notes I want to go through, but this will be a very succinct message once, once we're done. Today's culture rejects the law in favor of love. You're familiar with this. We call it hyper grace. Some of my friends call it being nicer than Jesus. Love, 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 love. Well, and we, we've heard it. We're free from the law. We're free from the law. The only problem is the Bible never once says we're free from the law. Amen. It does use the term we're not under the law, but it never once says we're free from it. It also more closely associates lawlessness with love, which is a damning heresy we'll, we will prove wrong by the end of this message. Lawlessness is not love, and love is not lawless. Amen. One of the things we'll see tonight is any relationship is built upon law. Any relationship is built upon regulation. Don't do that, honey, you hurt me. Please don't do that again. Uh, that, those are laws. And if I love my wife or my children, I honor the laws they give me. Daddy, I need a hug. Honey, I don't need you to talk to me that way. Honey, please don't ever do that with our money. When you're in a relationship with someone and you're working to make that relationship better, you are disseminating law. And when people love you, they honor that law. Now think about the current mindset, which is we love God, but we don't want to do what he wants us to do. Both of these assessments are unbiblical. But that, that uh, we reject the law in favor of love or we associate lawlessness with love. And we shall see we cannot have biblical love apart from the law of God. The law of God teaches us what love is and where to point it. We know that we can love in the wrong direction. We completely and wholeheartedly reject the modern notion that love is love. What if I love, if love is love, then love to murder people should be acceptable. Love is love. I mean, if, if, if all love is love, shouldn't it be okay to murder? Shouldn't, if I just love torturing dogs, shouldn't I be allowed to do that? If I just love vandalizing buildings, shouldn't I be allowed? I mean, love is love. Who are you to stand in the way of my love? Even the progressive pagan recognizes, well, that, okay, there's a line somewhere. What they admit is, well, we have to draw a line. There has to be a law. No, you can't just go burn people's houses down. No, you can't just go torture animals. No, you can't just go murder people. That's not love. Oh, so you agree that not all love is love, but they will insist that love is love. Well, how do you know what love is and what love isn't? From some moral standard, we use the Bible because it's built civilization for a thousand years. Nothing else has. 
The hidden agenda of lawlessness is already at work. That's 2 Thessalonians 2.7. And that's a critical verse for what we want to teach tonight. The hidden agenda of lawlessness is already at work. And the spirit of lawlessness is the premier spirit of Antichrist. As you know, the first principle of the Satanic Bible is do what you will. And lawlessness is not the total rejection of all laws. It's you doing what you want to, when you want to, as you want to. Do what seems right to you. The book of Judges calls, this a time, calls that time a time of lawlessness when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's the epitome of lawlessness. That is the spirit of Antichrist. That's the mystery and the hidden agenda that's already working in the earth today. In order to function under that spirit, you must leave the Bible. The Bible will not let you do what you want, when you want, as you want. The Bible will say forgive. The Bible will say go to work. The Bible will say come home to your spouse. The Bible will say pay your tithe. The Bible will say share your faith. Even when most of the time you don't want to do some of those. The law says you do it, the law of God, so you do it. You and I know we can't afford to do what we want, when we want, as we want, because we'll go to jail or end up dead one. When I got to drive my friend's Tesla a couple months ago, I got it up to about 110 which is against the law. That's lawlessness. Everything in me said, I bet this will do 190. And I bet I can get there in three seconds. And then I remember him saying something about, well, they'll track you on their satellite because it's a digital car. And, and he actually told me, they'll send me a report. And I'm sure at some point they just shut your car down. But I was tempted. I thought, I've never been over 138 in a car. Today would be a good day to do it. It's Texas. These are broad roads. It's a straight shot. It's flat. I bet I could go from 110 to 150 without even hesitating. But I didn't because 40 miles an hour over the speed limit was always a little, already a little too much lawlessness for me. Lawlessness is the picking and choosing of which laws will and will not be obeyed. We must evaluate and understand lawlessness because its abundance destroys biblical love. That's Matthew 24. We'll see that in a moment. Lawlessness, as the, uh, as the Lord Jesus Christ prophesied, when lawlessness abounds, biblical love is destroyed. It becomes psycho. The Greek word is suko, psycho, past feeling. Their love will become past feeling. So that tells us instantly there's some kind of connection between the law of God and biblical love, which seems very counterintuitive to us post-hippie in a generation that is LGBTQ+ where everybody should be able to marry anything they want to, as many as they want, because love is love. And yet the Bible says, when lawlessness abounds, biblical love decays. When lawlessness abounds, biblical love waxes cold and becomes past feeling. It is the Greek word psycho there in Matthew 24, but it's not like a psychotic killer. It doesn't mean murderous. We call a psycho a psycho because they're past feeling. They kill people, they feel nothing. Psychosis, they feel nothing. Not all love is biblical. Demas, his love for the world destroyed his ministry and probably sent him to hell. And there in 2 Timothy 4, when Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, having loved this present world, that is the biblical Greek word agapeo. Not all Greek agapeo is the God kind of love. The Greek word agapeo does not mean the God kind of love. The Greek word agapeo or agape means love that sacrifices without expecting a return. So you can agapeo a strip club. You can agapeo a sports team. You can agapeo your mistress. You'll make a sacrifice and expect nothing in return. For God so agapeoed the world, he loved the world and expected nothing in return. 
We've been taught it's the God kind of love, which is a misnomer. It's a love that gives and sacrifices without any strings attached. It's sacrificial love. And you can do it and send yourself to hell to do it. Legalism, on the other hand, this is lawlessness. Now let's talk about legalism. Legalism is the strict adherence to the law while completely missing the heart of the law being obeyed. And we understand that. I, I use the example with speed limits. It's 45 miles an hour because the engineers say this is what the road's designed for. This is what the curves are designed for. This is the safe speed even in rainy weather. But we also understand that's the heart of the law. But if someone's in a medical emergency, you can double that speed limit and nobody's going to stop you. Even the cop, should he flag you down and you hold up a bloody nub and he says he motions and he turns on his lights and he gets ahead of you and now you fight to keep up with him and you double the speed limit on your way to the hospital. The law is understood. We're not going to go 45 miles an hour while you bleed out in a car. Legalism says, no, no, it's 45, 45, 45. It can't, can't go a little over. It's 45. It can't go a little under, even though it's raining and snowing. can't go under. It's 45. That's legalism. It's also obsessive compulsive behavior. We would say, chill out. <laughs> legalism is suffocating and will squeeze the life out of anyone infected by it. And they will then in turn squeeze the life out of anybody they get around. You can't safely in the kingdom promote legalistic people because they will squeeze the anointing of God out of whatever's there. And you can't. It's dangerous. You just cannot promote legalistic people. You have to have rules and regulations. You have to have protocol. But at the same time, protocol is a safety working um, condition, sometimes you have to bend or break those laws to get the job done or to help somebody. And you're not supposed to sit there and say, well, I'm an ambulance driver and the speed limit's 45. I don't care if they're going to cardiac arrest and both their legs have been cut off and we have both legs, but we have 20 minutes to get them attached. No, it's 45. We have to, they will break the speed limit. They will run red lights. They will swerve. They will go on the wrong side of the road. And everybody says, please do. You don't allow a police officer or an EMT or any first responder to be legalistic except for when they need to be, and you're breaking the law. But we understand this dynamic, because the law enforcement is both legalistic and they're law-bending. They cut you a lot of slack in mercy. Uh, Mrs. Dingwall, we appreciate you. I want you to slow down. This is a warning. Next time, it's going to be a hefty fine. Amen. Modern law doctrine, and we'll call this antinomianism. Antinomianism means and no law, anti-law, nominus, nomos, meaning the law. And modern uh, heresy, modern hyper-grace teaching, or what we'd call modern law doctrine, is built really only on three verses in the New Testament. Romans 6.14, which says, For sin shall have no dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So it doesn't say you're free from law. It says you're not under the law, but you're under grace. So there's their first verse. We don't deny this verse, but we, as you've been taught, when we study a doctrine, we do a theological hermeneutic or a topical study. We look at all the verses. Just because you have one verse that says you're not under the law does not mean we don't stop and look at all the other scriptures. 2 Corinthians 3.6 is their other law, uh, other verse. They says, who has made us free? Jesus has made us free. Excuse me, has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth but the Spirit giveth life. Well, you've got to qualify what Spirit, number one, Holy Spirit, okay. Well, are we talking like weird charismatic? Because that isn't life. That's weird. 
So the letter kills. Okay, well, Paul wrote that in a letter. So when do we start listening to that verse? After we read that letter? Because that epistle has a lot of law in it. Because it's a carnal church. So now we have to use another hermeneutic to interpret context and intent. Because we understand the letter does kill. Because when you, when you only do 45, only do 45, 45. Honey, my baby's bleeding back here. Speed up. I can't, honey. It's the law. It's the law. It's the law. There's not a legalistic person on planet Earth that's going to do 45 when the baby's in the back seat gagging. You'll see a whole, you'll see Mario Andretti come out of that little blue-haired Church of Christ woman. <laughs> she will rip through every intersection. She'll be Tokyo drifting around corners. She'll be pulling up in the emergency room to get that baby some help. Final verse, they say, Galatians 5.18. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we have to answer those three verses. And thankfully, we have a lot of Scripture to do so. So what does it mean to no longer be under the law? Are we really free from the law or laws as some teach? Well, Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We'll read that again, Romans 8.2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of of sin and death. This passage is the closest the New Testament gets to saying we are free from the law, but it doesn't answer the questions because in the end, the believer is still under a law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So even if you want to take this a little further, it's still a law. Amen. And the word is still nomos. Amen. It is a law. It is a set principle. It's something you cannot escape. It's something you must abide by. It's a law. So that verse doesn't even answer the question, are we free from the law? Not, I don't have to obey the law. And I like to make the point, if you believe you're free from laws, you have another thing coming to you because right now you have about a thousand laws influencing you, not to even touch the ones based on physical science. But right now, we have laws that regulate our building codes and regulate how many people we can put in here. We regulate lighting and the price for lighting. And what happens if I don't pay the bills? If I'm just free, I should have to pay bills. But if I don't pay bills, you don't get AC and lights or a microphone or a recording later. So I'm not free. And we all drove the speed limit here, especially in the rain tonight. So we kind of obeyed those laws. And we kind of came in and sat down orderly. There's house laws. It's my turn to talk. So you'd sit there, amen, and take notes. Those are kind of, those are called uh, the social contract of the local house. That's kind of a law. So we, I think we get it intuitively until it's God standing in our way. We get mad when the, the idiot drives through our neighborhood at 50 miles an hour. We want him to obey the law. We get it until God's word stands in our way. And then all of a sudden we become anti-law because it's God standing in between me and pleasure or me and self-righteousness or me and sin. There are 613 laws. We need to discuss the law of Moses so we can understand the greater context of the New Testament, which very few folks do. Most modern grace teachers are not Bible students. They're Bible deconstructionists. And I'm not looking to deconstruct anything from the Word of God. I'm looking to build stuff with it. So we have to kind of back up and look at some Bible statistics as we approach the dispensation of grace and the church age to understand what's really working and what is not. So there are 613 laws in the whole of the Old Testament, collectively called the mitzvah, 
made popular by the 11th century European rabbi, Maimonides, also called Ramban. That's kind of his nickname, Ramban. He coined the mitzvah. He made it popular. He was a great theologian, philosopher, and a bit of a mathematician, I believe. He was actually out of what is now Spain. It wasn't Spain in the 11th century. The, 300, excuse me, the 613 Old Testament laws are broken down into 248 do's and 365 don'ts. That's how the Jews see them as positives and negatives. There are 23,145 verses in the Old Testament and 613 laws. So the Old Testament is only roughly 2.7% law. Because it isn't just the Pentateuch. You have books of poetry, books of history, books of prophecy. Because we know the argument, well, that's the Old Testament. It's all law. Well, technically, only 2.7% of it is. And when they always say, well, that's Old Testament, that's law, that's under the law. Well, so is worship, so is holiness, so is marriage, so is thou shalt not murder. That's under the Old Testament, too. So we're already dealing with someone who is dabbling with the spirit of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist movement and agenda. For me personally, I'm not looking to be free from more laws. I'm looking to know what more are, because when I know the laws, I can harness them for my betterment. All of science is built upon understanding the laws of nature that we might harness it for man's greater good. Sir Francis Bacon, his whole concept was, let us use the laws of science to better man's condition. When you understand law, you know how to harness it to help one another. When you understand law, you know how to get God to show up. You know how to please God. You know how to keep the devil at bay. So we're not trying to bury our head in the sand and ignore law. I want to study the 613 mitzvah so I can know what God was saying, what his heart was. Don't worry, we're not going to study them tonight. It, it takes a long time to go through all of them and understand how they break down and separate. 231 of those 613 laws are taught by the New Testament authors. Or basically 38% of the law directly carries over into the New Testament church. 38% of the mitzvah is taught in the New Testament. Like worship God, like don't commit adultery, like honor your mother and father, like don't steal, don't lie. These things are taught in the New Testament. 231, as I count them, because I have studied the mitzvah numerous times, 231 of the 613. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament 4,104 times. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament 4,104 times, which is interesting because there are only 7,957 New Testament verses, which means basically the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament every other verse. That's the statistical evidence. Now, it doesn't mean every other verse literally, but that's how it breaks down statistically. The New Testament directly quotes the Old Testament 695 times. Indirectly, 4,100. Directly, as in you can find the scripture reference, 695 times. By contrast, I've taught you guys this for a long time. There are 1,050 New Testament laws or commandments. Removing the repetitions, the repetitious commandments, distills the total number of New Testament commandments down to 800. 
So statistically, that means the New Testament is 10% law, whereas the Old Testament is only 2.7% law, which is an increase of 300% by volume or 30% by number. It's a big increase. So the argument then becomes, well, why do we have, if we're more free, why do we have more law? We're supposed to have grown up. I use the analogy with my three children, Justice being four, Abigail being eight, Lydia being ten. Lydia's older. She has more law thrust upon her in our household and even in the local church. Justice being four does not know, understand, comprehend, or is held responsible to as much law in the McMichael household or in our local church as her, his older sister is. We're the New Testament church. We should understand and have a lot more working for us. That's why we have 30% more law in the New Testament. So we still haven't escaped the law yet. We're answering the question, are we really free from the law under the church age? Because that's what everybody says. Well, that's Old Testament. The Old Testament is 2.7% law. The New Testament is 10% law. 613 laws under the Old Testament, 1,050 in the New Testament. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So that doesn't sound like if you love me, do what you want. Every time Jesus spoke, he was issuing forth new commands on top of the 613 commandments of the Old Testament. Every time the Lord spoke, he could not speak without a new law or 20 coming out. So I like to make the argument, Lord, if you really wanted to free us from the law, why did you come and talk? <laughs> like every time you're talking, you're telling us to do something new. Never before had he said, pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers in the harvest. That's a commandment. We're to pray regularly for harvest laborers. Lord, if you just keep your mouth quiet, we could be free. <laughs> Yet my word is spirit and life. So Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it begins with the Beatitudes, which are eight heart conditions that produce a state of bliss. Beatitude is a Latin term, which means the state of bliss. The purpose was to teach the heart behind the kingdom. Every one of those Beatitudes is a condition of heart. Jesus then followed up the Beatitudes by saying, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So here he's saying, I'm not doing away with the law. I'm not destroying it. I'm coming to fulfill it. He exhorted the listener to not break the commandments. So he's saying, look, don't break the commandments. I'm coming to fulfill them. Don't break them. But also, he said in the next verse about verse 19, by the way, don't break them, but you better find a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees because their righteousness was tied to keeping the commandments. So Jesus is saying two things at once. Keep the commandments, but find righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the law because there is no righteousness in the law. We understand that the law does not make us righteous. The law makes us holy. The law does not make us right with God. The law teaches us how to behave right in his eyes. And that was the difference. We understand the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the lawyers, they thought they were right with God because they were perfect, but yet their heart was not right with God. And of course, there's a lot of statements the Lord makes to address that. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the middle part of chapter 5, Jesus goes on to explain or elaborate and give a commentary on six common Old Testament 
laws. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He addressed divorce. He addressed oaths. He addressed the eye for an eye rule. He addressed the law of hating your enemy. What's interesting is all six of these deal with how you treat your neighbor. None of these are laws that deal with how you worship God. While teaching and explaining the heart behind these six Mosaic laws, Jesus Christ set forth 25 more laws. You've heard it is written, but I say unto you. He did that six times and burped out, if we can say that respectfully, 25 more laws, trying to teach us how not to be legalistic with the first six. So think about it. If the law is the reason we get legalistic, why would Jesus keep giving us law, 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 law? We understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to explain the heart behind these relationship rules, but the way you explain the heart behind the relationship rules is by giving more rules. If you've ever had a successful marriage, you understand how this works. And if you've ever had a healthy relationship with your kids or your parents, you understand how this works. Or if you've ever employed people or work for a boss, it's all communication, it's all communication, it's all communication. The boss is always saying, all right, or the mom and dad, new rule. Didn't think you guys were going to do that, but I, I guess I see we have a gap in between this law and that law. I would have assumed you connect the dots and say, well, if I can't do this and I can't do that, then I can't do anything in between. But evidently you didn't realize that. So let me put a new law in between them. And so some would say, well, this is just getting so legalistic. No, you're just an ignoramus and you can't get the picture. Spiritually mature people can get the picture with less dots. Lawless, rebellious people basically need stempling. If you know what stempling is, that's when you create a whole picture using nothing but dots. When you're spiritual, you can just connect the dots. When you're really spiritual, you don't even have to connect the dots. You can just look and say, that's going to be a fish. I can see it. I can, kinda, I can, I can elaborate. I can see it. When you're stubborn... God has to so pin you into your corner or his corner with a thousand dots. Your heart says, this just feels so legalistic and constricting. It's not. It's a safety perimeter. And you're hung up on the fence post when you have all this acreage in between the other fence posts where you can run free. 25 new laws were required to plug the holes sin and selfishness had found in between six laws. And all of them were dealing with how you treat your neighbor. We know from Romans 13 and Galatians, and we'll see this in a minute, if you'd love your neighbor, you would have automatically done all those six laws. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to kill him. If you love your wife, you're not going to commit adultery. If you love your wife, you're not going to divorce her. If you love somebody, you don't need an oath. You're just going to keep your word. If you love somebody, you're not going to try to get eye for an eye. Your love will cover a multitude of sins. If you love somebody, you're not going to hate. If you just operated in love, you wouldn't need six laws and then 25 additional ones. The law is not the problem. The human condition is. The law doesn't produce legalism. Ignoramuses do. Stubborn people do. Self-righteous people do. In total, the Sermon on the Mount, seven chapters, sets forth 54 new laws never discussed in the Bible before. And it begins with Jesus saying, this is all about the heart. These are the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. And yet, 
in the course of three chapters in this famous sermon, the longest of all his recorded sermons, he manages to release 54 brand new laws teaching his people how to serve his God and how to take care of one another. It concludes with the horrific warning that we're famous or familiar with, Matthew 7, 23. And then will I profess unto them the many in the final day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that practice lawlessness. I just set forth 54 new laws, the Lord's saying. And some of you won't hear one of them. And in that day, I will turn you away because you decided to practice rejecting my rules. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say the Sermon on the Mount was legalistic. Everybody embraces the Sermon on the Mount. But he culminates it by saying, I will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness, doing what you want, when you want, as you want. Not the total rejection of all laws, just the rejection of the ones you don't like in the moment because they stand in your way. While you, meanwhile, demand everybody else obey every law you want them to obey. Paul said this concerning the law, Romans 6, 12. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So Paul said the law is holy and just and good. Paul also said the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So the law is not the problem. The individual is. Paul also said, Romans 7, 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. So Paul's writing the Roman epistle, which is all about the law versus grace. And he says, in my mind, I still serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. That law of sin is still working in his body. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 9, 21, about trying to win as many people to Christ as he could, he said, to them that are without the law or on the outside of law, that is the Gentiles, I became as someone outside the law. But then he says, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. He's saying, I went to the Gentiles and addressed them as though they knew nothing of the law of God, because they didn't. You see that at Mars Hill, when he preaches and says, hey, I found this statue out here to the unknown God. That's who I'm here to tell you about. He didn't say, I'm here to talk to you about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they're going to go, who, who, and what? (laughs) That's how you address somebody outside the law. You don't say, what do you think about Samson? That DJ down at the joint? There's this guy named Samson. He must have been raised in church. Nobody church people name their kid Samson. No, no, no. The guy from the book of Judges. The what? You have to come at the lost from a totally different angle. So Paul said, to them that are outside the law, I became as someone outside the law, being not without the law to God, under the law to Christ. He said, I didn't reject the law. I was still under the law to Christ. I was still under the law to God. But I came at them from a different angle. He said that I might gain them that are outside the law. And then finally, 1 Timothy 1.8 says this about the law, 8, 9, and 10. But we know that the law is good. Oh, this is Paul again. He's the grace guy, remember? Paul says the law is good, talking about the Mosaic law. If a man use it lawfully. So there's laws to using the law. That sounds really legalistic. <laughs> Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Yeah because they've learned what holiness looks like and they're living it. So then who is the law made for? Well, the law is made for the lawless. Well, that feels like common sense. Medicine's made for sick people and the law is made for lawlessness. So what else is the law made for? Disobedient. 
Did you know you can be born again and be lawless and disobedient? And when that's the case, you need the law. It's also made for the ungodly and for sinners. I mean, that's two different classes of people. You can be a Christian and be ungodly, but a sinner is a sinner. So here we have another confirmation that Christians need the law on a regular basis. When you act ungodly, you need somebody to thump you and say, shame on you. God's word forbids that. And for unholy and profane. Unholy, that's some Christians, and profane, that's a Greek word that means not fit for public worship. Can you believe some folks come to the house of God and the Bible judges them as not fit for public worship? Not because they look dingy, not because they smell bad, but because something inside of them is wicked and perverse and demonic. So the law can help that pervert. We don't care what you look like. We don't care what you smell like. You may have just come from a job site. Your breath may smell bad because you popped a bunch of mints because you had like a chili cheese coney on the job site on the way to church. We don't care about that. What's your heart look like? Because the law of God will also clean up that profane heart. The law of God is made for murderers. What's funny, because everything we touch on, lawless, disobedient, ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane, that's kind of a generic. Then all of a sudden it says murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers. That's one of the Ten Commandments. For manslayers, that's just murder in general. Why would you have to address people that kill their mother and father except that that was a common problem? But also, First John says, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. So maybe it's people that hate their parents. For whoremongers, that's fornicators. The law is for a fornicator. You can be a born-again fornicator. For them that defile themselves with mankind, that is the Greek word arsenokoides. It's a fancy way of saying homosexual. The King James translators were so devout, they could not bring themselves to write that vile word. So they used a bunch of words to translate one word. We would say gay or homosexual or sodomite. They said those that defile themselves with mankind. For men stealers, that's a slaver. The law is for slavers those that kidnap people for slavery, which still happens in more than half the countries of the world today. For liars, for perjured persons, liars are people that lie here and there, perjured persons are who lie under oath. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Wait, wait, wait. So the law is how we build sound doctrine. How else do we build it? How do you build sound doctrine without do's and don'ts? Because doctrine, diaconus, doctrine is a system of beliefs you live by. It's a system of teaching you live by. How do you live without do's and don'ts? My marriage is defined by a strict biblical interpretation of marriage, which means one man, born a man, stayed a man, married one woman, born a woman, stayed a woman, till death do us part. Those are some laws right there. Married in the house of God. We didn't fornicate before we got married. Married in the house of God. Not this house, but another house of God. We don't commit adultery on each other. We don't lie to each other. We don't cheat on each other. We endeavor to put each other first. When we fail at that because of selfishness that flares up, we're quick to repent. There's a lot of rules and regulations to a sound biblical marriage, which is sound doctrine. We live by those rules. It produces a beautiful healthy marriage that provides my children with a stable environment to grow up to know what they should look for in a future mate. 
if my household, if my marriage is dysfunctional, my kids are already set at a disadvantage for spouse hunting. That's why you fight for your marriage under the laws of God so that your children can grow up and marry something beautiful. Someone who loves God, someone who's at peace. If you don't afford your kids that, there's no promise they're going to marry the right person. Amen. We are not made righteous by the law. That is not its purpose. The purpose of the law is to teach us what is holy and what is wicked. And according to Galatians, the purpose of the law is to bring us to Christ. Interesting enough, there are still seven more New Testament laws we're under. Romans 3, 7 says we're under the law of faith. Romans 7, 21 says we're under the law of evil presence. Paul said, I find that a law that when I would do good, evil's present with me. So I call that the law of evil presence. It's a law. You can't escape it. When you want to do good, evil's present with you. That's not a demon. That's your sin nature and your squirrely head. Romans 7, 22 says we're under the law of God. Romans 9.31 and 10.4 says that we're under the law of righteousness. It's funny, these are all in the Roman epistle, and this is the grace versus works epistle. 1 Corinthians 9.21 says we're under the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2 says the same thing. We're under the law of Christ. James 1.25 and 2.12 says we're under the law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. Isn't that interesting? The perfect law brings liberty. Liberty doesn't bring liberty. Law brings liberty. A law-abiding citizenry brings a very free society. I do like the old maxim, the old quote that says, an armed society is a polite society. What if we were just armed with the word of God and we lived by it? And then the seventh law is the royal law of love, James 2.8. And the royal law of love says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But that's what Jesus was addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. If you walk in love, you won't commit adultery, you won't murder, you won't lie, you won't divorce. If you walk in love. It's the royal law of love. Love is the premier law. So folks want to say, well, we're we're only under one law. Yeah, yeah. But try just having one law in your house where you love everybody. Do you love your husband? Absolutely. Have you ever told him what to do and not to do? Sure, because you have feelings and you have needs. You love your wife? Absolutely. Have you ever told her what to do and not to do to help that house run smoothly? Absolutely. You love your babies? Oh, I'd die for them. You ever told them what to do and not to do? Of course. That's love. You cannot demonstrate love without law. I, I joke about flirting with my wife, pinching the backs of her arms or messing with her. She doesn't like to be tickled, so she'll say, stop it, which is a law. And I'll say, I'm flirting. She'll say, try something else. That's another law. That's a commandment. I'm flirting. So I mean, that's a declaration. This is what I'm doing. She says, try something else. And I'll say, I don't have anything else. Not in 15 years. I don't have anything else. It's all I got. First time I knew Miss Manna liked me a lot. We were at this Bible study. I was sitting on the couch had my socks off because they had a nice home, had my shoes off. She walks by my feet because they're kicked up like this. And she grabs, these are my toes, even though this is my hand, pretend these are my toes. She walks past them and in one swift diabolical ninja movement, she grabs all my toes and cracks them and pops them. (laughs) 
I do remember that. It was at the Arakello's household. And I was like, yeah, she likes me. And in that moment, it was flirting. But if she does it now, I'll kick her in the face. We can't have intimacy, communion, fellowship without laws. And then by love, honor those laws. Love honors the laws given by those that they love. Any dad messing with his kids knows his kids are going to say, Daddy, stop it, please. Either you antagonize further or you honor the kid and you stop. And you have to know when it, okay, now we need to really stop. The kid's going to cry or I'm going to make a problem child out of this kid. Biblical love is tied directly to the law of God. As I shall now prove, we cannot love apart from the law of God. The law teaches us what to love and how to love. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this law thou shalt not commit adultery, or thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, notice all those laws are towards your neighbor. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended or summarized in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love works no ill will to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You don't know what to love or how to love without the law of God. If you detach yourself from the law of God, you end up loving weird things in weird ways, demanding your own love and exalting it above God Almighty, using the lame demonic excuse, well, love is love. Well, let's define your love versus where I'm getting my definition from love or of love from. Galatians 5.14 says this, same thing for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The perfect law of love is technically the only law we are held to, except this law had to be expanded for our understanding because we're ignorant. I'm not going to even say dumb. We just need to know how and who to love. If I were to tell society today, there's only one law from God, love. That's a reckless sermon. That's dangerous. Because love means something different to everybody now because we all come from a different frame of reference concerning love. To the pride month, you're going to produce something. To the Mormon, you're going to produce sister wives and polygamy. To the tree hugger, to the adopt-a-pet guru, everybody's going to love something different. So when we say God has a royal law, it's called love, we have to instantly come back and say, well, let's figure out what God says and what, how does he define law or love from his own law. Because by the way, God developed love. He is love. Therefore, all love that is divine is defined by him. And anything outside that constraint is not love. It's an aberration. It's a parody to sin. Jesus was confronted in Matthew 22, 35. says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The lawyer is asking for the greatest commandment. One. Jesus starts off with, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law 
So see what we just did there. We went from law, the law of love to, we split it, love God, love your neighbor. And on these two hang everything. All the law and the prophets. Same story uh, spoken of in Luke 10, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So now we're about to tie eternal life to who and how you love. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And the lawyer answered, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So this lawyer knows the answer. This guy's closer. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and you'll have eternal life. So now we just have to fulfill, we just have to obey one law to make heaven. Love. But, Jesus says, there's actually two divergences from that. You can't just go loving a dog, which is technically love. You can't just go love a career or a sports team. You can't just go love 30 women in a weekend or 30 men. You have to love God with everything you got, and you have to love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And on these two, hang everything, do them, and you'll have eternal life. So the law taught salvation through obeying the royal law of love, but the royal law of love split love between God and man. But this is what the Ten Commandments did back in Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments did it from the very beginning. So you had two tables of stone, and on the first table of stone you had the first four commandments, and on the second table of stone you had the other six commandments. And the first four commandments were, have no other God before me, because the first table teaches you how to love God. Have no other, how do you love God? Don't have any other gods before him. How do you love your wife? Don't cheat on her. That's a good place to start. If you love your wife, you don't cheat on her. Right, honey? How do you love your husband? Don't cheat on him. How do you love your God? Don't cheat on God. That's how you demonstrate your love, faith, and allegiance to someone. You keep fidelity. Second commandment, make no graven images and don't worship them. So how do you love God? Don't worship anything else, even stupid stuff you make with your hands, like the Buddhists and the Hindus. Third thing, don't take the Lord's name in vain. That is, declare that you're his servant and then blaspheme him and sin with his name. And the fourth is honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. These are the first four commandments that teach us what it means to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So it's not enough to have a... Well, just love God. Okay, okay. Well, I thought I'd love him by like going and throwing incense off the waterfall. That's not what he wants. If you're going to love God, just like in a good relationship, he's going to tell you what he wants from you. Now, the Lord has to tell us how to love one another because mankind is not smart enough to know how to be loved, especially in this day and age. So the second table of stone had the next six commandments and all of them deal with loving your neighbor just like you. So the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. Well, that's an odd commandment. How is that your neighbor? That's your first neighbor. The Redmonds are bringing home baby Bo today. Who's baby Bo's first neighbor? Mom and dad. So they're going to learn to honor father and mother. Number two, thou shalt not kill. 
That's a pretty good way to love somebody. Just don't kill them. It's amazing you have to ask somebody that. If you love me, don't kill me. Number three, thou shalt not commit adultery. We've covered that. Thou shalt not steal. When you love somebody, you don't steal. Don't bear false witness. That is, don't be a liar. Lying hates people. And thou shalt not covet. These are how we begin to love our neighbor. Suddenly one law, the law of love, is branched into two laws, love God and love neighbor. Then it's branched again into ten laws. So we see this pyramid. It's breaking down. From there, the law branched into 601 more additional laws that were set forth over the pace, space of 40 years in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the remaining 601 laws, the very first two laws that Meomenides counted was in the book of Genesis, uh, be fruitful, multiply. That's the first law. The second law of the mitzvah is don't eat the meat of the hall of the joint in honor of Jacob when he wrestled with the angel. Those are the first two that leaves us with 611. We've just covered 10, so that leaves 601 more. Those 601 more remaining in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they tell us further how to love God. If you're going to love me, I want a priest. Okay, this is how I want the priest dressed. This is how I want the priest to do stuff. This is how I want the priest to receive offerings. This is how I want you to honor your mother. This is how I want you to honor your father. This is how I want you to treat one another. This is how I want you to treat animals. Don't have sex with them. That's all the law, law, all the law says about animals. It doesn't say adopt them and make a baby out of them. He says don't have sex with them. If you do, I'm going to have them kill you. Don't rape a girl. I'm going to have you killed. Don't have sex with anybody you're related to. I'll have you killed. Don't have sex with a man. I'll have you killed. Don't, don't uh, have incest. I'll have you killed. Don't take your stepmom. I'll have you killed. These are capital laws because this is how you love your neighbor. 352 laws are given in Mount Sinai in Exodus and Leviticus over about two years of time. 57 laws are given during the wanderings of the book of Numbers, covering about 35 years of time. And then 202 laws are given right before entering the promised land. Deuteronomy uh, means the second giving of the law. And in the second giving of the law, more laws are given to fill in the gaps. Because it's not enough to know how to love God or to love God. We need to know how to love God. So the point we're proving is we're not free from the law that teaches us how to love God. These three rounds of law given demonstrate the need for legislative expansion based upon sinful man's needs for boundaries and elaboration. You and I both know man will always find the loopholes. This is why for 246 years we have had a legislative branch and they produce new laws every year, every session they have for 246 years. You know why? Because they keep finding ways to make themselves rich and to cripple our economy and our citizenry. You would think after 246 years of legislative branch, Senate, Congress, and lawmaking, they're called lawmakers. I don't know what else they do. I don't even think they make good laws. You think we'd have enough laws. Oh no, they always find some new law to make. And somehow we either figure out a way to get through it or short-circuit it, or we figure out they probably weren't good laws 10 years ago. Let's make some new ones. To say nothing of mankind's ability to find loopholes, the law has to be updated. Every relationship is defined by laws, and once those laws are learned, having been written on the table of the partner's hearts, there is rarely a need to rehash the letter. My wife and I never discuss adultery. She never says, are you flirting with them? She never says, what are you looking at on your phone? We don't have to discuss these laws. 
She doesn't have to say, where were you last night? She knows where I was. I was either home or I was at church. That's all the only place I'm at. We don't even have to track each other on phones because we're not paranoid because we trust each other. You don't know how much freedom that is. We nailed the major laws. We don't have to have a thousand little ones to keep our marriage feeling safe. Now, if you have to have those, have them and earn some trust. But you end up having to make new laws when your kids figure out how to slip sin in between the two big ones you made already. You have to do the same thing for a church. You have to do the same thing for employees. It can be assumed that the first laws given are the foremost and uh, most pressing. The next set of laws are given or done in order to advance and tweak Israel's divine culture over the book of Numbers. And the last set of laws are given to prune and correct whatever cultural issues were developed living as nomads for 40 years. You know that as they're marching through the desert, they're coming up with new issues and new problems. They're becoming, they're going from being slaves now to being nomadic Bedouins and new stuff is arising. That's why there's 202 laws given during the, uh, right before they enter into Deuteronomy or into the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy. The first round of law, this is as an example of how laws have to be given to fill in gaps where carnal man finds loopholes. The first round of law declared that adultery was punishable by death. Pretty good law. I think if that were the case still today, the body of Christ would be cut in half. Amen. I think every church in America would cordon off some chairs because we wouldn't need all of them. That's how you know we're under grace. The second round of law, this one specifically, this law given in Numbers 3530, uh, 30, declared that two or three witnesses were necessary in capital crime cases. So sometime from Exodus 20, verse 10, when Adultery was considered a capital crime and punishable by death. The Lord said, all right, before you guys go killing anybody else, let's make sure we have two or three witnesses so that we're not making false accusations. You see a new law given to plug a hole. Because if everybody was making honest accusations, my wife is sleeping around on me, my husband is sleeping around on me, there would be no reason to institute the law of witnesses. So you see an issue there, all right? We have to have two or three witnesses before we can stone the adulterer. So then you go another 25 or 30 years right before they enter the promised land. The third round of law, this one taken from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. It declared that anyone found guilty of bearing false witness in a capital case would be put to death. So what does that mean? It means they started honoring the witnesses, but then they started finding false witnesses so they could still put somebody to death. So the Lord says, all right, (laughs) new law. If you're testifying in a capital crime case and you're found to be a false witness, we're going to kill you like they were going to be killed. That dries up false witnesses. Witnesses was meant to dry up false accusations. So you see a law is given, and if you caught the heart of it to begin with, which is don't commit adultery... You wouldn't have to have three more laws. God had to institute three more laws concerning marriage in less than 40 years. That's how dumb people are. But the royal law of love says, love your wife. That should be enough. 
Don't go whoring around on her. Don't go checking everybody's oil with your dipstick, you pervert. No, if you'd stuck with the perfect law of love, we wouldn't need three more laws. So sin forces more law because the law is for the reprobate, the abject, the unrighteous, the profane, the unholy, the godless, the sinner. It's not for the righteous. You don't have to worry about me needing false witnesses. You don't have to worry about me needing witnesses. This example demonstrates the need to expand law to fulfill sinful loopholes. If you know the heart of a law, you don't need 35 more laws to catch it. Just like Jesus teaching on six laws on how to treat your neighbor instituted 25 more laws. Filling in the gaps. So let's tie this back now because I'm wrapping this up. We're going to bring this in for a landing. Back to love and lawlessness. We do not know what or how to love without being taught. You have to teach your kids what to love. You have to teach your kids what's acceptable. You have to teach your kids what they can set their affection of, on and for. The Bible teaches us who and how to love. You don't have permission to fall in love with the pagan. We don't believe in missionary dating. You can marry only in the church, only in Christ, but that has to have an equal yoke. You can control who you fall in love with. Your heart is totally in control. The Bible teaches us what God's kind of love looks like and acts like. All love is not equal. All love is not holy. All love is not love. Love is not love. Who does God teach us to love? God teaches us to love him. He teaches us to love our neighbor. That includes father and mother, sister, brethren, then the brethren of the church, and then the society at large. And we love each one of them differently. We don't love society at large the same way we love our God. We don't even love mother and father in the same way we love our God, but our children have to be taught how to love God more than us as they grow. We love God through exclusive worship, through holiness, through honor and obedience. We love our mother and father by honoring them, receiving their discipline, praying for them, serving them. We love society by giving the gospel to them and by being decent human beings and helping when we can. It's pretty simple. Animals are excluded from every commandment of love in the Bible. We have no biblical permission to set love on animals. You can't find a single verse. Use them, domesticate them, care for them. I mean, if it's your beast of bird, if it's your tractor, take care of that mule. But you don't adopt it into your family that's unbiblical and it's heresy. Don't you ever call it your fur baby. That's heresy. To depart God's law concerning love is to default into lawlessness. So what will the end of lawlessness look like? Matthew 24, 12. You can write this verse down. I got four verses and we're done. Matthew 24, 12 says, and because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, or the love of many shall turn cold. The love of many shall go psycho. When lawlessness abounds, love cannot be trusted. When lawlessness abounds, when you have no tether to God's word with your affection of love, your love will mean nothing. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 warns us of this by saying, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So this thing Jesus Christ warned us about, it's already working. It's already trying to get Christians to leave the law of God, 
which is the only way I know what marriage looks like. It's the only way I know how to parent. Remember 1,050 New Testament laws that include fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Parents, train your children up the fear and admonition of the Lord. There's a lot of commandments on how to parent. Those are New Testament. There's a lot of commandments on how to husband or wife. That's New Testament. I don't know what marriage or family looks like without the law of God. I don't even know how to flex love without the Bible. Even Proverbs says, if you don't spank your child, you hate them. Titus says that the mature women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and how to love their children. It doesn't mean they don't love them. They just don't know how to love them. It has to be discipled. The mystery of lawlessness is already working. And when lawlessness abounds, love begins to turn off. Galatians 5.6 says, but faith works by love. So if we turn lawless, we turn our love off. If we turn our love off, we turn our faith off. Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved by grace through faith. We turn our faith off. What happens to our salvation? All of this is summarized in Matthew 7.23. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Remember those that practice lawlessness, they didn't just practice sin. They also practiced miracles, signs, and wonders. Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? Lord, we know your name. We use your name. We understand the kingdom principles. We've done many marvelous works in your name. And he'll say, depart from me. I don't know you because you practice lawlessness. In that one verse, it summarizes all New Testament doctrine. Lawlessness abounds. When lawlessness abounds, love turns off. When love turns off, Faith doesn't work. When faith doesn't work, our salvation, which Thessalonians says is kept secure by faith until the day of his appearing, it begins to flicker. And if it flickers and the Lord comes back, he may look at you and say, I don't know you. So we have these two ditches. Legalism, which is obsessive, compulsive behavior, having the letter but totally missing the heart of what God's trying to say. And lawlessness, which is where most of the world is headed right now, including the church. And right down the middle, we have this wonderful trellis, this wonderful railroad track set called the Law of God. 800 original or 1,050 New Testament commandments. 1,050, which a lot of multiples, so we get it down to 800. 800 New Testament laws in 8,000 verses. One in 10 New Testament verses is a law telling us how to finish our race. And you can get legalistic with it or you can get lawless with it. To summarize the connection between the law and love, which admittedly feels rather counterintuitive in today's cultural rhythms, Jesus Christ said in John 15, 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. A homosexual cannot love another homosexual if they keep the commandments of God. A Christian cannot adopt an animal as a human being if they keep the commandments of Jesus Christ. You won't run out on your spouse if you keep the commandments of Jesus Christ because Jesus said, you obey my commandments, it keeps you in my love. He went on in John 15, 10 to say, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and it has kept me in his love. Faith works by love. We're saved by grace through faith. Leave the laws of God and you readily risk turning your law loveless and your faith void. So this is this message. The tale of two ditches. Lawful 
and legalistic or lawless doing your own thing. We want to come right down the middle and find every law we can and find the heart behind every bit of it. And there's a balance to all of it. And when you have that balance, your life is beautiful. It goes, 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 goes. Anything apart from that, you'll either squeeze the life out of it or you'll be legal or lawless and it'll suck the life out of you. We want the middle. Amen?